before church began, I did something. I was talking to some of the young people and I asked a question. I said, are you nervous? Silly question to ask. And you know what I got as a reply? No. See, they showed up to sing for Jesus. They showed up to work security for Jesus. You're being kept safe by a young person today. They are in every place, and we want them to know that this church is as much about them as it is about us. Before you're seated, here's what I would ask. There's a song we sing about raising a hallelujah. Maybe whisper a hallelujah as you're seated. Maybe just say to God, hallelujah, I am here. Hallelujah, I made it through this week. Hallelujah, you've got a plan. Hallelujah, you're bigger than anything else. Worship team, thank you. We're going to be having communion here at the end. Incredible job, team. Incredible job. Last week, we began speaking about evangelism. I told you that Tommy Valencia had put this study in my hands, and it has just eaten me up. Called Tell Someone. It's by Greg Laurie. And I'm going to jump into week two of this. Before we do that, I'd like to thank you for being here today. A hundred other places you could have been. But when you're here, you're family. It's not Olive Garden. We said it first, or maybe after, but it sticks better here. <laughs> You'll get as many breadsticks here as you will at Olive Garden. I guarantee that. I go there and ask for olive or breadsticks and never see them. Don't know what it's about. All you can eat, none. Uh, talking about the Great Commission. Last week, we were looking at the why of this Great Commission. This week, I want to look at the where of this Great Commission. There are things that we can say that are true about every person. Number one is that everyone is born with a certain emptiness. The Bible says in Romans 8.20 that God made his creation subject to emptiness. That means that he made us with this void that only he could fill. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in your heart. So from the moment that you were born, God set eternity in your mind. Like We, we know it's there. And so someone, whether they believe in Jesus Christ or not, this is true of them. Number two, everyone at some level has a loneliness. You meet people or you see things on TV about celebrities who have absolutely everything and yet it doesn't satisfy. You meet people in life or you may even be one of these people that thinks if I could just get blank, it will make me happy. As happy as my Jeep makes me, it doesn't fill that Jesus place. It doesn't. Jesus doesn't break down like my Jeep has been doing lately. <laughs> Number three, everyone is guilty. 
Meaning that you have this thing that God put in you called a conscience to let you know that he is present, that he has given you this moral compass, that even when you have not called out this name of Jesus, yet there is this thing inside of you that says wrong is wrong. It can be like a smoke detector at your house. You know how a smoke detector is. If the battery is going to go dead on it, it will start going dead at 3 in the morning. And you know how it works, like something will wake you up and you're like, what was that? What was that? Like I'm up, what was that? And I'll go back to sleep a little and it'll beep again. Like it takes me about 17 beeps to figure out the battery's going dead in the smoke detector. But there is something in us that God placed there to say there is a right, there is a wrong. Number four, everyone at some level is kind of afraid of what comes next. I am finite. I will not be on this earth forever. There is something inside of me that's, there's something more. There's something more. And you see this. You see it throughout history. People reaching out for something because they know there is something more. Well, here's some truth about those statements that I just made. Jesus Christ can fill the void that is in anyone's life. Jesus Christ can be that forever forever salvation in someone's life that they cannot chase after through things, through relationships, or through anything else. He can forgive the sin that produces that guilt that we have. And when we place our faith in him, then death is not something that we will be worried about. Here's the truth. When should we engage people with this gospel? Now. Do it now. And I'm going to go in a little bit about this because I feel like when we throw these words like evangelism out there, people get nervous. Here's a statement. Throw me this next slide about the good news. Give me, oh, that is, I I changed it. Good job. (laughs) The good news is only good if it arrives on time. The good news is only good to the person who needs to hear it if it arrives in time for them to hear and to know about this Jesus Christ. If we take this good news and we bottle it up and keep it inside of a church, then there's a whole world that it's not good news for them. We should preach it wherever. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We need to look at it and we hear all the world. You need to take it and hear it in terms of all your world. All your world. Where is your world? Your world is your family. Your world is your workplace. It's your neighborhood. It's your school or your campus. Go into all of your world. Greg Laurie had this term for evangelism, and he said it should be called frangelism. And frangelism is this. It is about friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. That's your world. Here's a question. Does your neighbor know you are a Christian? You're just being straight. Does your neighbor know that you are a Christian? Or are they like, well, I think they may have like, I don't know, a dodgeball club or something on Sundays because they're always gone on Sunday mornings. Do they think that? Or do they know that Sunday morning is God's time and when your car rolls out, you're going to God's house? 
Every one of us can think of a person that we may not like a whole lot. It's not a Christian thing to do, but you can think of one. Jesus said to love our enemies. Abraham Lincoln said the best way to destroy an enemy is to make them your friend. If there's a story about someone who was told to go to people they don't like, it would be Jonah. So you have this man who God told to go to Nineveh, and he refused. The reason that he hated the Ninevites so bad is they were enemies of his people. They were enemies of the Israelites. They were some of the cruelest people on record at the time, incredibly cruel to their enemies and to those that they captured in battle. Jonah did not want to go and do what he was told to do. Here was his reasoning. His reasoning was, if I go to them, they might repent. If they repent, then God is going to spare them. If I don't go to them, they will not repent, and God will not spare them, and they deserve it. You may not be Jonah, but you may have thought that at times. Well, they're going to get what's coming to them. <laughs> you may have thought that. Maybe the person beside you thought it. You didn't because you'd never go there. So Jonah gets on board a boat, and instead of going where he is supposed to go, he goes into the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish. He chickens out. God says go. Jonah says no. God has the final word. God will always have the final word. And as he's on the boat, he's asleep, he's in the lower part of the boat, a storm blows up, and all of the seasoned sailors start turning green. They start to turn to their gods to figure out what's going on. It doesn't take long to figure out the guy below deck is the cause of this. When Jonah comes forward, oh yeah, I know what's going on. I disobeyed the Lord God of Israel. And they're like, what? We've heard of this God, and why would you disobey him? What are you thinking? So Jonah says, well, here's a plan. You throw me overboard and the storm will go away. And so because these sailors were not wanting to throw him overboard, they start lightening the ship. They start doing what they can do. After a while, it didn't work. So you know what happens, Kevin? Boop, there goes Jonah. Overboard he goes. And when Jonah is there, he's swallowed by a great fish. Think of that timing. How long could you hold your breath underwater? In a matter of seconds, God made a way, and Jonah doesn't drown. He's in this great fish. There in the belly of the beast, Jonah had two options. You can give up, can break, or you can press into God. Where you are right now, as dark as it may seem, you can either give up or you can press into God. It may not be pretty. We see these things, like look at this. This is like how we imagine this. Like Jonah had like a suite. Do you think it was like that at all? Like Pinocchio with a candle, like Jonah's like reading and stuff, just biding his time, like he's on a cruise without a balcony? <laughs> no. And so what happens is God in his mercy speaks to the great fish and tells the great fish, throw him up on that shore. And here's something that I started thinking. How long was Jonah in that fish? Oh, you can answer. It's okay. Or not. That's okay. 
There are times when you may wonder why you have been in a dark place for so long. But you have to think that the place that God told Jonah to go, that he disobeyed, he had to get back there some way. And so the entire time, God was orchestrating for the fish to travel on the route that Jonah should have taken to begin with. And so when you're thinking, I'm in this dark place, maybe God is transporting you to the place where you should have been all along. I'm not saying that in a punishing way. I'm saying God is with you. And when you say, God, what's going on? What's going on? Do you believe he has a plan? It may stink. It may be dark. I'm telling you, like when I eat tuna and I try to open it and I get tuna water on my hands, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, I just want to take my hand off because it's bad. Imagine Jonah being in that place and that's all he could smell in the dark and in the seaweed, but he doesn't break. Is there someone that God has been prompting you to share the gospel with? And you've been telling God no. Maybe you don't like your circumstances. Maybe it feels cramped. Maybe you feel spiritually cramped. Maybe it's your neighbor you don't like. Maybe it's a coworker who makes you miserable. Maybe it's a family member. If yours are here, don't make eye contact. Did it ever occur to you, though, that the same God, that in his word, that this wording like in Esther, for such a time as this, that it applies to you in this moment as well? For such a time as this. I'm going to be honest here when it comes to evangelism. Give me that picture of this. Okay, I'm just going to be real. If you do this to a server, don't you dare do it when you're out with me. Straight up. If you're working for tips and you think that's a $20 bill and you pick up a tract, I guarantee you will not attend that church. I'm just saying it. If you're not willing to throw down a real 20, we do this thing on vacation where we pray because we're blessed to go on vacation, right? As a family, we pray. And we're like, well, God's going to direct us to someone. There's going to be a server. And we tip them well. Because they're an awesome server. They're okay. But because I believe that when you're blessed, you should let that flow. So Greg Laurie has this story. Don't think I'm an anti-tract guy. Grew up reading chick tracts. They were very compelling. Great drawings. Greg Laurie, when he was 17 years old, he was getting into this phase where he said, I'm going to begin evangelizing. He gets this tract. It's called The Four Spiritual Laws. You may have seen it. Great truth inside of it. He goes to the beach, and as he's walking, he's like, God, direct me to someone. He sees a woman who is his mother's age. He thinks, I will go to her because she reminds me of my mom. She will not laugh at me. She will listen to what I have to say. He opens up this tract and begins reading it verbatim to her. The entire time that he's reading it, he's saying, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. He gets to the end where you're supposed to pray. He says, sir, do you want to pray? Do you accept Jesus? So sure. Bows his head. They repeat this prayer. He said, when he finishes, she looks at him and said, something just happened to me. And something happened to him as well. What he figured out at that point was that God can use a nobody to reach somebody.